0: Welcome to the Millionaire Secrets Podcast where the most successful people in the world share their secrets to help you create the awesome life you desire. Welcome to another episode of Millionaire Secrets. Excited to have you back here. Welcome. If you're on YouTube, glad to see you. If you're on podcasts, glad to speak to you, I suppose. Uh, I'm here with uh, a new acquaintance of mine, Brady Morgan, who has a pretty cool story that I'm really excited to dig into. Uh, Brady's a financial analyst. He's an entrepreneur, works in the personal finance space, which is near and dear to my heart because without money, it's kind of hard to do a lot of cool stuff that I like to do and I know other people do too. He's also the founder and host of the Budget Trek podcast, which is actually one of the top 35 podcasts in the world on entrepreneurship. So I'm going to resist my natural temptation to just ask him a zillion questions about his podcast (laughs) because if you're my audience, you know, I just launched mine and I'm trying to grow it. But we are going to talk about that some. For sure. Uh, I'll let Brady tell his story, man. Brady, I appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks
1: for having me on, man. So uh, I'll start from how I, how I got into finance as a whole because I feel like that kind of paints the whole picture of how I think now. So cool. back when I was in high school, I wanted to do pre-med. I don't think I wanted to do pre-med because I like science. I think it's because I thought they made a lot of money. So I was like, <laughs> sure, why not pursue that, right? Uh, it was in my junior year of high school that I took a Dave Ramsey personal finance course. And when I took that course, a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, okay, I actually like this. I like money. I like numbers. And I think this is something I could actually get behind and study for the rest of my life. Now, um, as I was going through that, I was playing soccer and I was an athlete in college. And as I was going through that, I noticed that something was a little off at home, you know, you know, I grew up in a middle-class family, upper middle-class, I would say. I was always really blessed to get things from my parents. And, you know, as a kid, you kind of take it for granted. Mm -hmm. But my dad ran his own business. My mom stayed at home, which is a job in itself. Um, But I remember specifically, I was going outside to play soccer one day or do something. And my mom said, hey, Brady, we have about $3 in our bank account. And I was like, wow. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of one of those things where your parents are superheroes. Right. And they tell you something like this. It's kind of, it, it kind of makes you feel weird. I was, I was a bit confused because you don't, you don't understand it right yet. Hmm. So I'm like, okay, that's great. And then I kind of just went on my way, but now I think about that because that is something that I don't ever want my kids to have to go through or my client's kids or my client's families have to go through because was it their fault? No. I mean, maybe in a sense, but it happens to everyone. But how how can I step in and help people in that sense? And that's kind of the birth of financial automation. But let's backtrack a little bit to the Budget Trade Podcast. I know it's probably what you want to talk about a little bit. Uh, That started because me and my wife were in debt. We were $50,000 in debt. And we had a ton of credit card debt. We had just gotten married. And I figured, let's start this podcast and kind of detail our journey towards reaching our own version of financial freedom. Hmm. Because it's really easy to preach on becoming successful when you're already successful, right? Success leaves clues. And I I truly, truly get that. But I feel like when you're really like in the dirt with the people trying to reach the same thing you're reaching, it means more. So we started that podcast, was able to interview a lot of individuals and uh, hit top 35 for entrepreneurship in America. And that's where I'm at today, man. We're still running the podcast, still running strong in Financial Automation. And, you know,
0: that's where I'm at. Yeah, that's awesome. I I will tell you. Uh, that story lands really near and dear for me because everything I've done, you know, my, my big kind of thing is is around online marketing, online business, you know, building. I was a musician before and my audience knows all this, but just for your knowledge, I used to be a piano player all through my 20s. Tried to start businesses, lost my butt around the same time it sounds like your parents did. That was like the Great Recession, right? 2007, 2008. Isn't that how that story goes? Yeah. So I lost everything too. Not that I, I had much, but I ended up in a ton of like almost $500,000 in debt because <laughs> I had two franchise restaurants go down and I had uh, SBA loans and I was just a piano player. Like they never, I mean, they never should have given that kid credit in the first place. I was 27 right. year old piano player with no business experience. They gave me, you know, over th- almost $400,000 worth of credit. Like it was, it was silly, but that was the world then. I lost it all. I went online and I'm sharing this with you because I totally relate to what you just said where I started in November 2008. I went online and was like, I'm going to learn how to market. And this was pre-ClickFunnels pre, I mean Brunson was doing stuff back then. I actually knew him before ClickFunnels. I followed him, but it was nothing like it is now. There weren't really tools. Right. But I started learning and I very quickly realized, you know, I heard somebody say like the best, the way to know that you really learn something is to turn around and teach it right and that was the approach i took very quickly within a few months i started doing some coaching and teaching and just recording videos and sharing what i was learning sounds like similar to what you've done with the podcast where it's basically just a an accountability tool almost to say hey if i get some eyes on me i have to keep getting better and better is that Mm -hmm. right
1: yeah and it was really a vehicle too to go to my next step you know i wasn't an entrepreneur when i started the podcast i was uh I was working at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, which is a major healthcare facility here in Nashville, Tennessee. I was a financial analyst. And I remember telling my wife, I was like, you know, I think I'm gonna start a podcast. And she's like, Okay, sure. Yeah, you're gonna start a podcast. And I was like, No, I'm serious. Like, I'm gonna start a podcast because I, I think we have a story to tell. And like, yeah, we're we're up to our eyeballs and debt, but it's definitely something that we could teach on. And that's what I did. I started there and it, it was my vehicle to the next mode of business. So it's a, uh, I definitely relate that when, when you have knowledge, it doesn't make sense to keep it inside of you because there's always someone out there that needs that knowledge. So as I was going through this journey and I was learning to keep myself accountable, I thought I can teach someone else how to stay accountable. It's not easy. I mean, you know it too. Like getting out of debt is not easy. It's it's tough and it's really easy to want to quit. I was not $500,000 in debt, but I imagine if I was, it would have been that much more difficult. So you know, for, for your listeners out there, I think it's just important, like whatever it is, learn from people who are either currently doing and having success or have already done what you want to do. Because I think it just, it, it does leave clues. And I think people who are still in the process of completing a big project or big goal, but are having success along the way, that is still successful in my opinion. So follow those people.
0: Yeah. I, um, I agree, and I will. I'll say that I'll share with you that five hundred thousand was such a big number to a guy. I'd never made much over about forty thousand dollars in a year as a piano player. All in my twenties, frankly, it was more like fifty or sixty. But the ten or twenty that was tips, I didn't have to report. So, Um, but five hundred thousand dollars in debt to that guy is such a big number. That in a way, it's kind of liberating because, like, what what do I have to lose? Like. I should just go big because small measures aren't going to do anything for me anyways. And so I did, I went, I went as big as I could. And I, I set a target. I was like, I have to make $40,000 a month because anything less than that, I might as well just go fishing. And, uh, and so I, you know, that, that was kind of my approach. And I, I share that not because I think people should be reckless or because I think people should be, uh you know grandiose but because i think people should there is it is appropriate and I, I like that you i think you can relate to this to connect risk and reward and risk doesn't just mean financial risk risk can be discomfort mm-hmm. it can be you know putting yourself out there it can be vulnerability it could be a you know what would you say you did finance for a medical establishment, mm-hmm. deciding to start a podcast to not only level up your skills, but also to, to expose your vulnerability. I mean, you went public to the world and said, I'm $50,000 in debt. And I think I'm going to try to make a plan. Let's do it together. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough too, man, because, you know, I think I'm young. I'm only 24 and I was 23 when I started the podcast. And like, who am I to think that I can actually move somebody at 23 years old on the topic of finance? You know, like go find, go follow a Dave Ramsey or somebody else. And All I right. think, Huh. A lot of people have this knowledge and they they get pushed back because they're afraid of what other people are going to think about them actually pushing this knowledge out into the world. And you get to a point where you're just like, I don't care at this point. Like, I have a journey and a story I want to tell and it's important for me to get it out regardless of what people think. And obviously people resonated with it, which was good. So I'm thankful for that. And like, here we are today and I'm almost at 100 episodes. I've interviewed really cool people, hit top 35 for entrepreneurship. And people are still messaging me, asking me questions. How do I do this? How do I do that? Because everybody has that fear. And I think when you start when when you start a podcast or anything about, about a topic that's really sensitive, people are gonna listen because they don't want to they don't want to talk about it themselves. So mine was centered around debt and stuff like that. And yeah, the topic now is a little different. We talk more about just like entrepreneurship and struggles in general. But I, I think the core focus is struggles. Like no one wants to talk about struggles nowadays. So if you can, if you have a struggle, create something around it. Put yourself out there. I mean, because people see that and people notice it and people respect it.
0: Well, man, I'll, I'll, I'll go I'll go deep into struggle all day long. I love struggle. struggle. Struggle defines you, man. Struggle is just the – the weight of the bar as you press up against it to get stronger you know that's i I, I agree with that i uh, i I do think there's a really really important lesson in what you're saying this is this is what hit me immediately is i think a lot of people think that authority is a credential and they're waiting until they feel like they have the credential they've got the degree or the, the the letters by their name or whatever authority is a perception exactly exactly and, and just, so, you know, I have, a, I have a friend out in LA. He's a branding, you know, expert. He works with celebrities and athletes and people that are trying to, you know, like a lot of athletes that want to get into music, for example, like mm-hmm. they want to become a rapper or something. And his, his actual job title is perception architect. He helps people architect the way they're perceived in the marketplace. And when you really understand, that's all you architect your perception in the market especially in the world we live in now where people are taking these little tiny bits from social media and whatever you choose to put out there and that authority is simply a form of perception Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're 24 you have more authority in the personal finance space probably than my actual actually I was going to say that my CPA except we just switched CPAs to the guy that does all the rich dad Poor dad stuff. So he has a lot of authority. Yeah, probably not him. (laughs) The guy before him who's been doing it 20 years, you probably have more authority than him. Yeah, I mean, in the marketplace terms.
1: Right. And it's, you're right. Authority is a perception. Like you see on social media, there's these 18 year olds that have eyeballs on them because, you know, and yeah, social media, you can perceive that you have more authority than you actually do. I think stats just kind of back that up uh, long term. But yeah, I, I think there, there's a lot of people out there who are, who are afraid to put themselves out there because they don't think they have the right to do it. Right. You know, why would I put myself out if in marketing, if I'd have no experience? Well, if you're good at it and you're young, who cares? You know, who cares if you're young, you can still have authority in that space. But I think people, it's not so much what people perceive you, but you have to also want it. Right. Cause I do think people can, can. I can, I can preach authority all day long on social media and through videos and podcasts, but if I'm talking one-on-one to somebody and I'm not conveying authority and, and confidence, then you kind of lose it, right? So I think it's not so much authority, but just confidence in yourself because everyone has a story to tell. Everyone has something they've been through and you don't know what someone else has been through, right? But I think when you tell your story and you're just real and genuine, someone is going to resonate with it and you, you just got to do it.
0: Well, and I think you just nailed it. When you tell your story and you're real and authentic, it's here's how, cause I, you know, I get this question a lot. You, you probably do too, especially as you've evolved into talking about entrepreneurship and business struggles. People yeah. want to like, how do I start? How do I make that first step? How do I both internally and externally, how do I push myself? And also what do I actually do tactically? And it's like the limiting factor I always say is that people don't have, you know, they're not unreasonably optimistic enough they're not delusionally enthusiastic enough like it's a it's an it's not a high probability thing to try to go off the beaten path and do your own thing in this world like statistically it's like starting a restaurant like statistically it's probably not going to work oh yeah so 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 who makes it work though and i always say there's a difference between man-made odds and math made odds Mm -hmm. like if you're playing roulette no amount of optimism is going to change the odds. Exactly. But when you're betting on yourself, I don't care what the statistics say. I don't care if ninety percent of businesses close in the first five years, because I know myself, and I'll outwork them, I'll outlearn them, I'll outlast them. Right. So as far as I'm concerned, I had a hundred percent from the start, and that was when I was five hundred thousand dollars in debt. Well, I think too, you know, I think there's important components of it. People.
1: One, they don't believe in themselves, right? Or they have the common misconception that all you have to do is work hard and you and you will succeed. Mm-hmm. I do believe hard work is part of it, but there's so much more variables that come into play. You have to constantly be educating yourself. You have to be open-minded to other opportunities. You do have to have a little bit of luck. But I think when you are seeking all these different things that come into the actual formula for success, you will reach it. So I think, one, it starts with just believing yourself. Just start. Just do it because – you know, the, the reason we started financial automation and then I, I was pushed to really start the podcast is Jeff Bezos says, when you're on your deathbed and you're 80, are any of your failures actually going to matter? I'm going to regret not trying, right? So he's right. It doesn't matter. Like I, I could care less if I fail this business or 10 more because i my deathbed, I'm not going to be thinking about that. I could care less. So just try it now, have optimism, believe in yourself. But when you do start, it takes more than just hard work there's a lot of stuff that comes into play. You've got to be really innovative. You've got to be creative. You've got to be strategic and you've got to continuously just build yourself up. You've got to continue to be optimistic. You can't just work hard and be negative about everything. You have to continue to push yourself and believe in yourself because uh, that really does come into play. And, and I don't know if you've seen it, but you know, for instance, with financial automation started four months ago, like, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. And if I just worked hard, I don't think we would be where I'm at today you you got to be positive you got to have people around you you got to continuously educate yourself etc
0: yeah i i think that uh, i'll talk more in my agreement with you about the hard work that there's more more than hard work i, I just want to say that i think when you when you do make that decision cuz this is where a lot of people i kind of think kind of tie themselves up in knots so like well who am i like you said who am i to go do this thing right it's it's right. arrogant or presumptuous for me to act confident when i don't have the result the way that you balance that is like yeah you have this unreasonable confidence and belief in yourself because frankly you know that most people won't most people actually won't work to their human potential most people won't actually be creative because of fear like so therefore you have the ability to do these things that are statistically improbable but the people say well who am I to do that the key is just because you're enthusiastic and optimistic and have high self-confidence don't be an asshole. Be humble. Yeah, that's
1: a huge one. That's
0: like go out and say, I'm here. I'm making my mark. I believe in myself. And the way I know I need to start is I need to learn. Yeah. Right? And and, yeah. and the teaching becomes an extension of the learning or the authority becomes an extension of the journey itself. Right. Which it sounds like is exactly what you've done, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and I think for people starting out, they like, we started this business and if you were to have talked to me five months ago, I would not know what I know now. If we talk five months from now, I would not know now what I'm going to know then. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's, it's you're constantly learning. And I think people who think they know it all and think they don't need to enhance their knowledge are the ones that fail. You have to just know what's happening in the marketplace, know what's happening in your industry, your niche, whatever that is it's constantly changing and if you're not and you think that i'm just going to work hard it's it's not good enough you know everyone nowadays wants the same thing everybody wants to be an entrepreneur start a successful business be a millionaire go to the beach every other week like that's not everybody wants that so what are you doing that's different you can't just work hard everybody's working hard
0: yeah you use that term work hard i i think one of the because I, I get people say that a lot. You know, we have, I have an education company called Entra and as people come in different stages, we have and different, different entry pathways, we have them like fill out questionnaires or surveys or it's not mm-hmm. even so much for us, it's for themselves to self-identify right. and you know, I see, but I do, I do see the, the responses sometimes and I'm telling you, man, it's, it's, it's almost funny how many of them specifically say I'm a hard worker. While at the same time telling the story of not being where they want in life. Right. So I think the problem is that we have an overly narrow and static definition in many cases of hard work. There are some people like jackhammering a piece of asphalt. To me, that sounds like impossibly hard work. Yep. It would, but there are actually some people, whether because of their upbringing, because of their belief system, because of their identity, because of their physical aptitude, whatever it is, for some reason, that work, you know, repetitive, monotonous physical work isn't, I don't actually think it's hard work for them because it's consistent with their identity. Right. What's the hardest thing for a human being to do isn't a physical task. It's to violate their own identity. That's a good point. So, so for, for that guy sitting down with a workbook and and creating a profit and loss statement on his home finances, that might actually be a hundred times harder than jackhammering a piece of asphalt. So when he tells me he's a hard worker because he has a manual job, that's actually a meaningless statement, right? Because every person has their own definition of hard work, and actually for him that's not that hard. Because if it if it if it was hard he would already be a person who naturally challenged, naturally adapted, naturally shifted, and naturally had already made the change because the path he was on wasn't getting him what he says he wants. And he would have changed 10 years ago if he actually was the kind of person that did the hard thing for him.
1: Right. and actually the easiest thing for him to
0: stay in that job, right?
1: Right. And and, and I think, you know, the the underlying foundation of this is people have a, a struggle getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think you become uncomfortable when you, just like you said, violate your identity of what hard work is to you, right? If I am in construction and I'm jackhammering a piece of asphalt, I do that every day. It's not hard for me. But like you said, if I try to go do a profit and a loss statement like that, I'm uncomfortable doing that. So it's going to be hard for me because I, it's not that I can't do it. I can, but I have this fear of maybe failing or maybe not being able to finish or maybe where do I even start? You know, I think that's hard. So when people, but however, when people still do those things and they think, well, I'm working hard, I'm getting getting out of my comfort zone, you know, there's still a lot more to it. There's still a lot more to success. Everybody wants the same thing. Everyone is trying to, you know, avoid being comfortable and chasing discomfort because that's where they think growth is, but everybody's doing it. So how are you going to be different?
0: I, I love that you said, man, you just like, there's such a powerful idea for me personally interwoven in what you just said. I shot this video maybe a year ago. It's been a while where I was talking about the, I think I was called the discomfort principle or something like you're right. We've all generally accepted as conventional wisdom. Now that you have to quote, get out of your comfort zone. Right. Right. So you got people, that are like, well, you know, I used to be so shy, but this weekend I made myself go sing karaoke. <laughs> Great. Okay. For, for two hours after downing six drinks, You pushed yourself to do this sort of childlike thing that's not going to shift your life, but okay. Congratulations. You got out of your comfort zone. Woo. You know, you're saying Margaritaville. Come on. I'm talking about doing emotionally terrifying identity shattering hard things because the only measure of a human life, I said this to somebody today, the only objective measure of, of human achievement is how much more did you do than what almost everyone else was also willing to do yeah so people are like well i work 40 hours great so does everybody else people are like well i you know i turned in my stuff on time great so do you know not doing that makes you bad but doing that doesn't make you exceptional okay right. so so cap put a ceiling over what everybody else already does the 40 hours the you know i burn 2000 calories a day i exercise 30 minutes three times a week like you can put a ceiling on good and then say, actually, the only thing that actually matters in a world this crowded is everything else you do on top of that. Mm-hmm. And people are like, what? That's not fair. That sounds so hard. It's like what people are like, I get up at six. So do most people with jobs.
1: Yeah. But I get well, up
0: I at 3.30 and see how much you get done.
1: Yeah, exactly, man. Right? I, I, think, I think it's and it's such a cliche thing, but like it really is you versus you. And I was listening to a podcast with John Lee Dumas and Ed Milet. And he says, every single time I, I put a number to something I'm going to do, I always try to do one more because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. If I'm doing pull-ups and I can only do 15, I'm going to do one more. If he, said it, he said, if I have 10 Zoom calls, I'm going to do one more. You know, something as simple as that. But it, it's uncomfortable to do things that are outside of your calendar, outside of your to-do list. But it's more, Right. So it's like, how can I do more today than I did yesterday? And how can I do, to, do more tomorrow than I'm doing today? And I think that people forget that sometimes. And they, they give themselves uh, lenience to, I guess, their progress through life. And they think, you know, I'll get to it. I'll do it, I'll do it next week. I'll do it Monday. And I, I'm still bad at that, right? But I think it's a constant battle until you actually start having that battle with yourself. And overcoming that battle, I think you're, you're not truly uncomfortable. You have to do more than you're comfortable doing.
0: Yeah, I think it's, and, and you know, I'm 41. You're, you said you're 24. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, not like, I'm the old, you know, let me give you the wisdom. Or <laughs> not, but like, I'm 41. And here's the thing. You know, I was, I had my $500,000 collapse at, at 28. Or, well, I guess 27. But like 28, I was like recovering and trying to get my act mm-hmm. together. So I've been doing this online thing and, you know, being, quote, a successful entrepreneur that at least had some results for 13 years, it's not until fall of 2008, sorry, 2018 that I basically had what what literally felt like a nervous breakdown of dissatisfaction for lack of a better term for being an average pussy. Forgive (laughs) the term, but it was like, I realize that I'm doing a very good job of executing a reasonable amount of work. Great. Uh, No wonder I'm dissatisfied, man, because most people are. And everything since that, I mean, it was like, it was like a schism in my mind, dude. I'm not, I'm not going to like downplay it. Like I went off the rails and I don't, I've never come back and I don't want to go back. But since that time I've, you know, professionally, it, just the whole world has shifted man and, and, and I'm, I'm excited for you that you're 24 and you get to have this whole life of, of being you know getting it and I think it's awesome that you're inspiring you know because frankly you're talking about personal finance where there's probably a lot of people I would I mean tell me if you experience this people are like well this guy's you know this guy's out of his lane you know he's 24 years old trying to tell me about my money I mean, yeah, you hear that and it's kind of like,
1: you—you, you, I mean, you learn to brush it off too because it's like, well, for every one person that thinks that 10 people ask me a question that they need help with, hmm. you know? So I, I there's always going to be, be people like that, I think, in any in industry, not just finance. Um, but I think those are people that are probably not truly satisfied with what they're doing. They might feel threatened. Hey, you know, this younger guy is right. in my niche and I'm kind of threatened that he's going to well, take have- part of my audience.
0: I mean, like they say, I, I've, I've heard this from multiple people. You'll never be criticized by someone who's more successful than you. Mm-mm. I mean, they I you about my life, literally nobody who's at a place that I'm aspiring to be has ever come along and tried to like knock me down. Usually right. they're off the other way. If they see you're working hard, they'll, they'll offer a hand up. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's the truth, man. And I can't tell you how many people when I'll interview them on my podcast, not saying not everyone I've interviewed is successful because they all are, but you can tell the ones that, uh, I guess, are humble and really appreciate, you know, not just me, but just the drive, the ambition, and they'll stay on for an extra 10 minutes and we'll just chat. Ask me if I have any questions. Do I need help with anything? Is there any direction I'm needing? And I appreciate that, right? Because I don't know everything in the world. And if I can learn from, you know, people who have achieved what I want to achieve and they're willing to just do it for free, like I, that's who I want to be, Right. I want people to ask me for help. And I'm just like, yes, which is what I'm doing. But you know, it's, uh, you're right. People who are more successful than you don't criticize you.
0: They just want to help you. Now they just, they respect the hustle. They, they respect the game. So, and, and that's been my experience too. I mean, when I was a piano player in my twenties, you know, I want, I, I, I wanted money, dude. Like, I'm not going to lie. I wanted money. I wanted success. I wanted freedom. I wanted, you know, just a blessed life. And I didn't, it was hard. I didn't have it. I was, Spinning my wheels, do it, thought, thinking I was doing what I, was, what I love, which was music, but unfortunately I was falling out of love with it because the life was so hard. Right. And I, but I, I was fortunate. I, I actually got to play. I got in with this one lady that booked these private parties. I got to play in the home of at least five that I counted, maybe more, different billionaires. Wow. So it's like a billionaire and like six or eight of his friends, and me playing piano. So like hanging out in a room that's got a net worth of like ten billion dollars, and just me just playing over in the corner, and I'd talk to them, and I and like they were, they were gracious. I mean, you could tell that they had some walls up because they're used to like people having a, you know, making like a predatory attack on their time or the, or their money. I'm right. sure. So they had they were guarded, but they were very gracious. They were happy to dispense advice. There was no question they wouldn't answer. They were not too good. Right. And, and, you know, yet people who've never actually been around people that successful, I think have an incorrect supposition very often about how they actually are.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree with that. And I think people won't truly know how they are until they actually interact with them. Because you're right. You know, everyone is going to have barriers up no matter what level of success you have. And some people are really bad at uh, who are successful that will help you are really bad at showing that they will help you on social media, It's just part of it. Everyone has a persona they want to portray. But when you get down to it, you know, I wouldn't even say just successful people. Everyone I've interacted with, whether they're below me the same or above me, uh, have been helpful, you know. But I think there's always going to be those outliers of people who are dissatisfied with their own growth. And I think that's really what it comes down to. So they're threatened by someone else that's growing at a quicker rate than they are. Mm. And I think that's a trap that a lot of people fall into. And it's something that I don't want to fall into. I'm not going to say I'm, I'm numb to it because I think everyone has the ability to fall into that trap. It's just, I think being self aware that this does business really matter at the end of the day. No, there's more to life than just business, but business is a vehicle to help you live the life of your dreams. Mm. And I think people have their identity in their business. So when their business fails,
0: their life fails, and they criticize people as a result. Yeah, well, I mean, for me at least, that was very well said. I, I appreciate it. Um, so, if we could not necessarily switch gears, I think it's all pretty intertwined. But you are a finance authority, um, <laughs> and and so I'm gonna I'm gonna say not even just for me, but really on behalf of my entire audience. Where, you know, you deal a lot with, I mean, financial automation is your your online, is it is it software or is it a service? So it's a, it's a service right now
1: and we're developing software. Okay. So, you know, a, a hybrid approach. So as of right, you know, software takes time and it costs a lot of money. So we're kind of at the mercy of our software developers there. But from right now, from our consulting perspective, what we do is we have a very, uh robust program that houses everything from business strategy, business finance and personal finance with okay. a really a big emphasis on the finance portion. And the reason being is there are so many questions out there about it. So why don't just put it in a program so you can reach everyone? Yeah, we can do consulting to do one-off consultations, but that at the end of the day we're limiting our time. So we do that. And then when we focus on the finance portion, we actually do initially deep dives into the client's, financial management processes. So there is definitely several different ways we can automate areas. Definitely several different ways that we can just eliminate. You don't need to be doing that right now. You're not there yet, right? And then what we also have is something called custom financial dashboards. So the software will take the place of this, but as of right now, we're just using Excel and Google Sheets. But what I've done is created a spreadsheet that houses everything from sales to expenses, to ads, to taxes, to whatever. So as as you enter in your data, different KPIs automatically calculate. So you know what's happening. Your taxes automatically calculate. So it's really easy on the end user to just enter their data. They're ingrained in their data every single day and they just have these KPIs that are actually important for them in their business. So they then have these fi- this financial data to back up strategic decisions that they make within their business. People we've talked to and people we've dealt with, and you might've dealt with this too, they make pivots and they make zero sense. There, there's no reason for it. They just did it because we wanna do it. So our belief is when you have financial data, when you have KPIs to back up different pivots you make within your business, it makes sense. You have more clarity, you have more confidence. And I think entrepreneurs just want clarity. They want confidence. What are they doing? No one knows what they're doing. There's so many different ways you can go, right? Right. that's the finance portion. We started honing in a lot on the automation portion as well, because we found that when we want to help our clients reach financial freedom, initially it was just focusing on the money and finance portion, but time is a really integral part of that formula. So how can we implement things that help them get more of their time back? Whether that's to spend on other revenue generating activities, maybe they want to start another business venture. Maybe they have a hobby that they haven't spent much time on because they've been so busy. Maybe they're having a kid on the way. Maybe they want to spend time with friends, whatever that is. If you're not happy doing what you're doing and you're spending all your time running your business, like that's not success. So let's give you some time and some money back and let you reach financial freedom. So through the automation, we do another deep dive. We help them optimize their systems and processes. Introduce different softwares to them, whether that's relating to social media management, email campaigns, funnels, um, what have you. And and we've actually started to introducing this is you know a new thing my business partner and I have been discussing a VA portion because when it comes to automation, you can automate a lot of your lead generation just through having a VA because you teach them how to do it and they do it right. So at the end of the day. We at financial automation want to do whatever it takes to help you keep more of your money, help you make more money and help you have more time because that is ultimately the formula for financial freedom. And I think entrepreneurs start nowadays and they think they have to work hundred hours a week to make, you know, to put food on the table. And yes, that might be true at first. You're going to have to work long nights. It's, it's part of it. Anyone who tells you that you can work a four hour work week from the beginning is not, don't listen to them because right. they're cool to it. But you can work hard in those few weeks setting up these systems to help you work less in the future so that you can focus more time on whatever you want and still make the same amount of money, if not more. So that's the basis of financial automation. We are developing a software that is going to house accounting, finance, and merchant processing solutions all in one. And we're actually discussing right now adding a different component to it as well to where you're not only tracking KPIs related to finance. And the money within your business but tracking kpis related to everything be able to integrate emails funnels social media lead generation crm whatever that is so instead of having to go to all these different websites to track
0: different kpis it's all in one place and so is your money so is your service and ultimately your software is it specifically tailored for entrepreneurs and business owners or is it also applicable for people that operate with, let's call it more of like a steady state income from a job. I would say more
1: entrepreneurs and business owners okay. because th- the reason being they do have more control over what they can do within their business, right? If I'm a business owner and entrepreneur, I have the ability to employ a VA if I want to, or employ right. a new financial management system if I want to. Whereas if you work with someone who just has a steady state income and they work for someone else, they're not a decision maker at that point. And it's like, well, yes we can help you in your business but we need to get to whoever's running that business first
0: you know i'm glad you said that because it it, you know i i I have a lot of these conversations with entrepreneurs i mean technically my my show is not limited to entrepreneurs millionaire seekers right it's just people that have been wildly successful that usually whether they they own their business or not they have an entrepreneurial quality about them. You know, there's, there's this new term intrapreneur right. people that are entrepreneurial within a, within a larger structure. Right. Same deal though. But you know, we, often the question comes up or the discussion of like is everybody cut out to be an entrepreneur? Should everybody own a business? Are there some people that just shouldn't by nature? And, and I don't know that I have the answer. I think there are some qualitative and potentially quantitative benefits for anyone to own a business even if it's on the side right but, and and but first and foremost it's because of what you just said but it's a it's a i guess a double-edged sword the worst the reason not to own a business is because it makes the financial aspect of your life harder let's let's say that's a reason not to own a business like when you take control of your income it's a lot easier to screw up your income
1: exactly it's on you at that point
0: but the flip side is if you do the extra work necessary to actually get control and create processes and create automation and become knowledgeable and literate about those things, you actually end up with a lot more control in a positive way over your income. Right? So uh, I love that you're giving people the tools to realize the potential benefit of being a business owner because frankly, I think that in the camp of people who you would say well that, that guy or gal probably shouldn't own a business it's usually because of either i don't know maybe there's a cluster of reasons basic financial literacy mm-hmm. you shouldn't own a business you shouldn't be in charge of your income if you're not smart or educated or informed about money exactly yeah uh, maybe there's a work ethic thing like you don't want to be totally self-reliant because you're just not that driven um, but, but usually it's, it's just a, a lack of really good systems and processes because I would argue that you take any person in a reasonably healthy business or a business with potential, give them enough good systems and processes and it becomes a net win. Yeah. Well, I think too, you know, I think there's
1: two different sides to the steady state income and steady state might be kind of a great term for this. Say right. you're a real estate agent or you're a salesperson. You could absolutely use what we use, right? Okay, yeah, Again, yeah. probably regulations around that dependent upon industry, like financial advisors, you can't get a VA. Right, Just right. regulations around that. However, if you are an analyst at an investment bank, yeah, there's probably no need for you to use this unless you are running a business on the side. Mm-hmm. You're right. There are entrepreneurs within businesses and I'm not going to say that they're only people on commission doing sales. There's plenty of entrepreneurs that are on salary and doing analysts and doing analysis work. However, do they, could they have an actual benefit from using financial automation? Probably not. But I believe that everyone who is in charge of their income, whether that's in sales or running your own business, 100% you can, you can use us. And at the end of the day, I think, you know, this whole start, this whole thing started budget track and all, but people don't know how to manage their money. People have no clue. Right. And there's so much noise out there with how to do it. Dave Ramsey's telling you to save a thousand dollars and I personally think it's not enough. And when we were paying off our debt, we didn't have a thousand dollar emergency fund. Our credit card was our, our credit cards were our emergency fund. You know, you're kind of taking that bet on yourself, but I'm thinking if I have an emergency, a thousand dollars is not enough. I'll just use a credit card. Right. So if people are thinking, do I listen to Brady? Or do I listen to Dave Ramsey? It's two completely different perspectives. At the end of the day, whatever works for you works for you, but you have to find out what works for you first.
0: Or do I, don't, I don't want to listen to Robert Kiyosaki, who's going to tell me to go potentially take on way more debt? Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and
1: it just depends. Like, what are you comfortable with? What is your risk level? And if you have a very low risk tolerance, then follow Dave Ramsey. That's what he's there for. Because the majority of people, I would say, don't know what they're doing with money and don't know where to start. He, that's a great place to start. If you're like, hey, I want more out of life. I don't just want to get out of debt in 15 years by doing the Dave Ramsey plan. Like then follow me, your credit card, your emergency fund. Just be super aggressive. Live on nothing for a few months. You know, that's that's the plan, right? But I think where people need to start is, you know, ask yourself, where am I at when it comes to financial literacy? Do I know anything about money other than I make a paycheck every two weeks? Because there's so much more to it. And I think people just neglect it, maybe a fear of not knowing and maybe a discomfort or maybe they just don't care but I hope that if I can't help you through my business, I hope my content and my podcast can help you understand the money within your life and your business, whether you work with me or not.
0: I feel like there's a little bit of a, uh, what would the word be? A You know, we, we, I talk with my kids sometimes about learned helplessness. Like if, if my wife, if every time my teenage son is hungry, my wife gets up and makes food for him, you know, even like microwaves the ramen or like something he very much could have done for himself. After a while, you teach people, you, they learn to be helpless, right? And I mean, depend on you, yeah. And, and I feel like many of us have a learned helplessness around money because during the time in our life, when we were supposed to be learning all the things that matter, i.e. school, it's this glaring omission. So it's almost like by not teaching it, they're actually teaching it in a way that says, you can't control this. Therefore, we're not going to teach this. Exactly. You're just subject to the system. Right? Yeah. So you're 24. I mean, you weren't, you were in school not too long ago. You, you actually mentioned you took a Dave Ramsey course in high school. Was that part of school or is that something you did on the side?
1: It was part of school, but it's still not enough. It's a workbook that you fill in the blanks and watch his videos, right? but how am I applying this to my own life? Like, yeah, it's great that someone saved a thousand dollars, but why am I not keeping track of my own finance? I think people, you, yeah, you're, you might be learning about someone else's finance, whether that's through a personal finance class or just a finance class in college or whatever. But when you start to really understand your own money, it's way different. It's way different. Understanding is way different because decisions you make through a textbook or a workbook don't affect you. When you make decisions for yourself, it affects you either in a positive or negative way and you learn either way that's how you actually learn is through experience and unfortunately they don't teach that in school they don't really teach it anywhere i mean and how do you teach that unless you teach it in school so until someone can actually convince public and private schools and universities to let them teach that i think there's always going to be this disconnect with money
0: well and the, and the real for me the real education around money education is actually you learn more you learn as much or more about yourself Mm -hmm. As you do about money, you know, listen, I I can teach somebody history all day long and yeah, they might discover themselves in the history, right? Like, oh, you know, general Lafayette was impulsive and I see in my own life how being impulsive causes conflict or like that's fine. But like most subjects, even that are pretty separate from our actual life. Like learning money abstractly, I I helped my son with an assignment a few weeks ago that was like, the Ramirez family, you know, works, worked for five years at $6,000 a month and saved up money and then they just, the guy decided, it was all hypothetical, right? It was abstract. Like yeah. you're right because the real lesson isn't about the money. It's about you. It's emotional. It's like trading stocks with your own money. You want to learn about yourself? Go buy an option. <laughs> and watch it drop and watch and it then, drop oh. <laughs> and, and try to white knuckle it and hang on i mean that's why everybody loses money in the stock market because they things go down and they sell things go up and they they hold because they think they're going to keep going up and it's irrational right so and and yeah it's essentially we're completely denied that education which yeah. would be the most useful education we could possibly have right but why Absolutely. is it do you think it's because it would be like politically incorrect to Talk about a subject in a real and visceral way in a class where maybe Joe's family has forty thousand dollars a year and Bill's family has two hundred, and that would make them feel bad. I think that
1: could—that's a good point. I'm also wondering too if if they're thinking there would be a liability to it. If they teach you how to a, a, a certain concept and you fail by following that concept, then that person might, you know, say, "Well, that that person taught me, so it's their fault." And everybody's suing everybody, everybody nowadays. So And you got all these lawsuits over just teaching money in school. Now that's probably far-fetched. However, I, I do think that, you know, and this was something I wanted to do. Like when I, when I first graduated college, I started working at UBS, a global investment bank. I was an analyst there as well. And I wanted to start this just huge education program that you implement into public and private schools that teaches not only things about money and finance, but you know, insurance, credit, loans, Uh, writing a resume, doing a job interview, like stuff that you need to know, right? Like why, why did they not have more emphasis on public speaking in college or in high school? I could care less about learning science if I'm not going to do science for the rest of my life. Like teach me something I need to know, an actual real life skill.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think they neglect it. And I don't think that, I think they're just behind and I think it's not a priority to enhance the program. They're just going to keep writing about new mitochondria that they found in the whatever you know that that's what they're going to do because money is already not a topic of conversation in school so why would they implement it now they never talked about it
0: and frankly money's i mean maybe this is insensitive to say but money's probably not a super sexy subject for most teachers to talk about not because they're underpaid and it's it's probably a hard spot in their life and the last thing you want to do is get a whole school full of teachers talking about money next thing you know the union's going to be coming back demanding more of it right yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and I think who knows, he, man? It's all a conspiracy, but I love what you're doing. Whatever, whatever the cause is, you're actually doing something about it. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I
1: think uh, hopefully in my lifetime, I can, I can maybe change something there,
0: but we'll yeah. see. That's that's awesome, man. Well, listen, I know that uh, we both have a hard stop, so I want to make sure you have an opportunity here to share with the audience how they can get more access to you. You mentioned financial automation obviously we'll make sure we grab a link and put that wherever this yep. show appears, but yep. how can people go get more into your world and, and more of what you have to offer? Yeah. So I'm, I'm the most active on Instagram,
1: uh, at Brady Morgan underscore is my personal at financial automation, uh, spelled the way it sounds on Instagram as well. www.financialautomation.co is our website. I know you're going to include a link there. I also have a podcast called budget Trek. Um, where we do the same thing. We just interview people and talk about life and struggles and money and all sorts of fun stuff. Related to entrepreneurship. It makes perfect sense. The track, yeah. the track. Yeah. So that's where you can find me. I'm kind of on Facebook, kind of on LinkedIn, but I'm, I'm, I'm more on Instagram. So uh, if you do have a question, if your audience has a question about anything money related or entrepreneur related, or I just want to ask about my life, feel free to DM me. I answer all my DMs. So
0: that's awesome i know from both youtube data and just anecdotally from my dms we actually have i have a lot of both you know high school even middle down to, i've had people reach out to me they're like 12 years old so there's a lot of like teens and 20 somethings listening to this i think you're going to be really inspirational for them yeah i hope so man i hope so cool well thanks so much for for hopping on the show here it's been a lot of fun and i uh, i'm sure we'll have occasion to chat again i look forward to that awesome appreciate it jeff of course You just finished this episode of the Millionaire Secrets Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share this episode and do leave us a review. Let us know how we impacted you today. Your next step toward creating your awesome life is to join me and thousands of others in the Entra Nation community where you'll receive free training, networking with other awesome life seekers, access to live events, discounts, merchandise, and other awesome perks head over to www.EntreNation.com. That is www.EntreNation.com and join us today. And of course, do please follow me on social media. I can be found on all the major social networks at Jeff Lerner Official. Thank you again for listening and please go be awesome.